Welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro. Hi, and welcome to Replenish Hope, and welcome to this very special uh, segment. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of fun facts and uh, uh, fun heart facts about adoption and also about real life parenting. And today we have, it's my honor and privilege to have Dr. Melody Aguayo. Thank you, Dr. Melody Aguayo, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I've been following um, Dr. Aguayo for a while, uh, because she posts on her Instagram, you can look her up on Rio Child Consult Consulting on on her Instagram, and she posts some uh, great quotes and things that gets me going sometimes, and uh, also good reminders of um, that it's that I'm o- I'm okay, and if I'm not, that's okay as well. So it's <laughs> it's been really really refreshing to read your quick good points um, on Instagram in the midst of all the bombarded information that you get on social media. So it's so nice to see something positive and good that it would encourage you, not discourage you, or um, doesn't make you compare yourself to others. So thank you, Dr. Awayo, for doing that. Oh, I, I love that feedback most of all when people tell me that that my um, posts make them feel like they're doing a good enough job, which is what I want everybody to feel because we're, none of us are perfect. I want them to be encouraging. And I know that many of us are raising complicated children and there's no simple answers to complicated children. Mm. Yes. I like that. I'm going to be writing a lot of quotes. There's no simple. <laughs> I like that one. Um, Dr. Um, Aguayo, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I see here that you are now, you live in Tennessee. Yes. Did you always grow up in Tennessee? No, I um, actually spent the first 13 years of my life in Mexico, almost 14. Um, My parents were missionaries. I had four brothers, so I was a tough little cookie. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I didn't play with Barbies or do anything like that. I just climbed trees and um, and 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 was wild, as my husband says. We were wild children. Um, but <laughs> I met my husband in Mexico. We've been married now twenty years, and we have two children, both adopted, fifteen years old now. Wow! So you, how was that being a missionary kid for you? So. I, I loved it. I loved Mexico. We After Mexico, we moved to Russia, and Russia was a lot more difficult, but, but Mexico feels like home to me. We, we grew up, um, did public school part of the time. We're homeschooled part of the time, but generally we're just, um, just a part of the culture, and we felt at home there, and we had a rule where we could only speak English at home because our English was getting so poor that <laughs> my mom... <laughs> was like, oh my gosh, you guys are speaking such bad English. Um, so yeah, it was just, it's just home for us. And you were there for 20 years, you said? I was in Mexico for 13, almost oh, 14 years. Okay, 14. And then I've been married for 20 years. 20 years. Wow. Then you came yeah. back to the States. 
I went to Russia and then I came back to the States. So I did my high school and college here and graduate school. Wow. That's an exciting life. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, for a child, like growing up in different places and then you went to Russia. My goodness. Yes. What what um the whole family? Yes, the whole family. And wow. Russia was the complete opposite to Mexico in every way. And I thought that was a challenge, but then I became a mother and I realized what a real challenge was. There you go. You were like, I got this. Yeah. Yeah, that was nothing. That was an adventure. That was an this adventure. Is a challenge. There you go. That is very true. That's very mm -hmm. true. So you got married with your with your hubby and how and when did you guys decide we were going to adopt? Yeah. So when we were dating, actually, we had this conversation. Um I'd always felt strongly that I was going to adopt children from Africa. And so we had this conversation when we were dating just to make sure that we were both on the same page. We, we thought we would um, have biological children and adopt children, but we started with adoption. And then that was enough in every way, both, um, you know, they, we had one daughter and one son and it was, everything we wanted. We knew we got the right children for us. And then also it was enough in the sense of we had a child with lots of special needs and we knew that we needed to pour our resources, time and energy into that child. Mm -hmm. Did, did the children come to you uh, young? They came together. We, we adopted them at the same time and our son was right about a year old and our daughter was about four months old four months how long were you married before you had you, you became pa parents five years oh five years right right into like that was pretty soon <laughs> yeah it i'm i'm glad we waited that long <laughs> it felt like <laughs> yeah five years and how how did the um the trans how was the process for you, Miss Awayo? Yeah. So um, I think, you know, I think it's always hard to become, to, to be a new parent. I, I have a real heart for people who are starting their parenting journey because I think it's always overwhelming. If, if um, getting married is death to self, you know, if two become one and that's death to self. I think becoming a new parent is basically jumping off a cliff. It's like, mm. you know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, true. It's you know, true. and so two kids, two kids at once. I don't know that I remember much of that first year. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just overwhelming from a physical perspective of, I feel like I was always like running and feeding and catching and, you know, catching my son who was running around at that point. It was just, it, it was an exhausting year, even though we were very happy to have our kids home. Mm -hmm. um, it was a hard adjustment. Wow. Um, I, I understand. Um, we will respect that um, your family, but was it dom uh, a domestic adoption or international adoption? It was an international adoption. Okay. They're Ethiopian. Oh, wonderful. So you yeah, did yeah. get what you desired. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Well, 
There you yeah. go. God gave you the desires of your heart. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. It's it's amazing how um children even uh from afar just God meant to just match you up just um so nicely together. Yeah. I do I do believe that you know, I I tell my kids all the time I would have picked them all over again even though I wasn't the one picking them. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, God chose them for me, but yeah. Yeah. I, I tell my, uh, my little one, the same thing. I will do it all over again. Even in the, the hardest moments I was at the end of the day, I would say, I will do it all over again. Cause they're very dear and, and they're, they're our kids. We love them. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dr. Wild, it's so in this journey, did you, were you already Dr. Awayo or was it through the process? That's, that's a good question. It was actually after my kids came home. I had started a couple of doctoral classes, but it was after my kids came home. I was actually working as a um, marriage and family therapist for the Hispanic population of East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and I liked it. I really loved that, but when my kids came home, I, I recognized right away that there was that, that my son had some significant issues, and I could not find a professional that acknowledged that they saw the issues that I saw, or that that I felt like listened to me with respect about. They all considered me, oh, you're just a new mom. Oh, you know, in another year, you're not going to be worried about this stuff. All new moms worry about these things. And um, so I decided I, I needed kind of the, the degree to be able to show up for my kid in, with more authority in that type of situation. And so I, you know, I just hit my, I, I, I hit it hard. I, I worked on my doctorate. I finished. Um, I guess 10 years ago and I never thought I was going to finish. I had two kids that, you know, I I mean, it's just hard to, (laughs) to write a dissertation when you have two kids running around and, um, I never thought I was going to finish, but somehow it happened. Wow. Congratulations. Um, so yeah. And in those moments that you, you were thinking, I can't do this. You were reminded, it's like, I have to do it for my son. Yes, it was always about being an advocate for him. And then as my journey moved forward, it, God showed me that in my pain, he was creating a purpose to become an advocate for other children like him as well. Mm-hmm. And so what became, you know, solely about him has, has been multiplied to being able to help a lot of other people. Um, and I really, I really do consider that an honor to be able to advocate for parents and their children who are just struggling and feeling unseen. Yeah, it's very um, when you when you have um, challenges in your uh, and you see challenges in your child's life, it can be very scary because you just you you don't know. And then you don't want to put labels on your children or um, the wrong labels or the wrong help sometimes. So it's very scary walking into something that you have no clue. what's. You know something's wrong, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. It's a big responsibility. <laughs> it is. And it's something, you know, there's nothing you care more about than your children. And, and you care about everything. You care about whether they, you know, have enough lotion on or their hair is combed or you care about the little things, but then, you know, the big things feel all consuming as well. And so everything matters when it comes to your children. And you're right, things like labels and doctor's appointments and, you know, making big decisions about them is just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, part of my role is as, as a parenting coach is pointing parents the right direction. My doctorate is in psychology. Um, I don't diagnose or treat or assess or do anything like that. That That's more what, you know, a clinical psychologist would do um, or a therapist, but I don't do either of those things. But I point people the right direction and I help them figure out where the imbalance is in the home. I think that children should have a voice, but not too much power. Too much power gives children a lot of anxiety. Hmm. Um, and so when I see, you know, I, when I see those situations, I help parents find balance again through different strategies and helping them understand, um, what's going on. I never heard that before. Too much power gives children anxiety. Why Dr. Wild? I see that over and over again. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit why Dr. Wild? Yeah, so like, for instance, um, if you have a child that is, um, which many of the children I work with throw, you know, long fits, I don't know, I would probably call them more like rages mm -hmm. because they're too long to be like a little temper, temper tantrum kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in that 30, 45 minutes that they're screaming and slamming doors and that sort of thing, um, the entire family is revolving around them. Uh -huh. And so everything, they kind of set the mood of the home. That is too much power. That makes the child more anxious and makes these rages last longer. Mm. So we want children to have a voice, but we don't want them to have that kind of power. Parents always need to set the atmosphere of the home. They kind of set the table and the child can, can, you know, join the table or they can not. But, but we're setting an appealing table so that our children want to join us, but we're not letting them um, dominate the home because they don't feel good when they do. It's, you know, a home that is dominated by a five-year-old feels like a home that's dominated by a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it also... Five-year-olds don't make good leaders. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. As much as I love them, no, they don't. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're fun. I mean, they're a lot of fun, but when, yeah, when things get rough, no, you, we can't, we can't have it that way. I, I, I think um, having that friction also, it, it hurts the parent, the individual, the, 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 the couple or, or the, the marriage, um, and also, It hurts the relationship with the child. I think in my life, I have experienced resentment in that area because like, holy moly, what is this? <laughs> so I totally yeah. understand yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So much of what I do or attempt to do because 
again, this is a com- complicated issue, yes, so I'm is. not always effective, but so much of what I attempt to do is bring balance back into the home mm-hmm. because you can only pay um, complete attention to one crisis for a small amount of time before the whole family gets out of balance. And, and many of these crises with children that, that I work with last year after year after year after year. And so by the time the family comes to me, you know, self-care is very poor. Um, and it, you're right, like the, the focus has shifted to being totally child-centered and the rest of the family is all suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, um, what are the, like, in your in the families that you have seen, when they walk into your doors, a lot of times the families are hopeless. That's why they're there, because they're trying to find help wrapped in hope as well, hoping that you would have the answers <laughs> for for them. What are the things that you see most common, Dr. Awayo? So I think that when when I've noticed the, the greatest hopelessness, I kind of made a list here to think about this, is, you know, when children have too much power in the home, parents always feel pretty hopeless. They do. They, they understand that their role is to be in charge, and homes always operate most smoothly when parents are in charge. Um, so, so they feel pretty ineffective. Mm-hmm. That contributes to that hopelessness. Um, when parents and kids are disconnected, sometimes I have families where, where the child, a teenager, whoever the, you know, the, the young person I'm working with has very few, very few acting out behaviors, but the parents felt, feel extremely disconnected from the child because the child, you know, doesn't share with them, doesn't, um, doesn't try to connect with them, doesn't seem and I say seem to care about them because I think all kids care about their parents, um, but, but, but isn't expressive in that sense. So that can lead to hopelessness. I've, I've seen lots of parents where, you know, the kids seemingly do fine everywhere else, but there's just this disconnect at home that makes a parent feel um, hopeless. And, you know, I think parents feel hopeless when most of their interactions with their kids start with no stop don't quit (laughs) when when they're having so many negative interactions with their kids and and none of us want that to be the case but many of us find ourselves in that place when we have a child with behavioral issues or some other type of special needs where we feel like correction becomes kind of the atmosphere of parenting rather than connection and affection. And so um, my goal is definitely to, to balance those things out, to make sure that if we are correcting, that there is always a teaching intent in mind, mm-hmm. that it's not just for punishment, for punishment's sake, because I'm angry at the child, because they've made life difficult for mm-hmm. me, that there's truly an intentional goal in mind of, I want my child to learn this, and then that connection becomes, uh, you know, what we, becomes our currency as parents. So we have to do a lot more connection, especially when we have a difficult child. How, how is that possible? <laughs> when you have a, how do you connect with the child um, when there's challenges there? 
it really, really is possible. I have worked with some amazing families that will never, and I put quotes around the word fix. I don't love this word, but for simplicity's sake, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. That will never fix their child. Mm. That, you know, 10 years down the road, their child is going to be struggling with the same thing. 20 years down the road, the child's going to be struggling with the same thing. So then we have a choice. Um, are we going to enjoy them anyways? Mm. Are we going to enjoy them anyways? And, and that is something that I've had to say yes to over and over again. Can I delight in my child anyways? Have I had fun with them today? Have we learned something? And those became kind of my parenting goals. I had to really change my parenting goals because I felt completely ineffective having normal parenting goals of, you know, I don't know, just normal things like I'm going to teach them to use the spoon or I'm going to teach them to do this. And other parents seem to be so effective at teaching their kids <laughs> little things like manners and potty training. And, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, it was all like climbing Mount Everest at my house. Mm -hmm. It was just felt insurmountable. And so I had to change my goals in order to survive and thrive as an individual to am I connecting with my child and are we having fun and learning something? Hmm. And am I going to be okay even if I never fix it? Hmm. Am I going to be okay? Um, and, and I think a lot of us find ourselves faced with that question hmm. and it's it's the hardest thing I have ever done as a parent is to release. Mm -hmm. I could fight all day long. The hardest thing is just to release that fight mm -hmm. and be okay with what, with what is and enjoy it anyway. Mm. I need to swallow because that touched my heart. <laughs> um, how is, so connecting looks different for every child, correct? So the younger ones are, I I think, because through therapy, uh, attachment therapy is through play. Does that continue for the rest of their lives, Dr. Wire? So I think I think play is always a great connector. I think that when you have a teenager, play might look like you're you're learning a, a song that your teenager choreographed, or you're making a TikTok video with them, <laughs> <laughs> or and you're letting them record you because teenagers love to record you doing stupid things. <laughs> um, play can look like, you know, I have a child who loves to run, and so one. Um, summer, she decided she was going to train me to run a mile. Didn't work great, but for her, that was play. She loved laughing at me and, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> all of that. I, I think play continues throughout life. I think that's what keeps us connected. And so I, I think there's so much power in play. I, I think that enjoying each other, um, laughing together, it, it releases, uh, um, oxytocin, which is our connecting hormone, and it decreases the effects of cortisol, which is our stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And many of our kids have really high levels of cortisol, mm -hmm. and so so play really does reduce those levels of cortisol. Touch, if your child, you know, everybody needs touch. I don't care if they're two or fifteen. 
They might need different kinds of touch, but touch is something that is so important for connection. Um, so, you know, find ways to touch your children, hug your children, hold their hands, sit right next to them when, when you're watching a movie, um, that type of thing. Dr. Awayo, why sometimes us parents, um, we don't like to play? <laughs> why is it so hard for us I, to connect? Yes. I think because we are um, focused on outcome parenting instead of focused on the process. So mm -hmm. outcome parenting is, is goal oriented. And it might just be, you know, my goal for the morning is to clean the kitchen and, um, you know, have everybody in bed by, I don't know, six o'clock or something. And so when that becomes the goal, then, and, and that's the focus of the day, then anything that, um, that, that, that comes against that or makes that less, less likely to happen is going to be a disappointment. Mm -hmm. And with disappointment comes feelings of sometimes anger or impatience or that sort of thing. But if you shift the focus to process parenting, which is how is this moment going? How is this day going? I, I had to do that because outcome parenting is, you know, you're going to be really disappointed at the end of the year when your child failed the grade or yeah. <laughs> when the, the teacher keeps sending home these, you know, papers where your child is, you know, there's red marks all over it or you notes home that your child's behavior was poor if you are focused on outcomes you will stay in a really low place if you're raising a child like that it's hard to come out of that low place um, which was certainly my experience and so I had to shift that into I'm just going to enjoy the process I'm just going to enjoy the process and I'm going to focus on the relationship that I'm going to have the longest that's going to be the relationship that's the most important to me Second grade teacher, I may or may not remember her name in five years. Sunday school teacher, I may see her, you know, for six months and then she switches churches and then she, but my child, I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Hmm. Yeah. That's true. It's the, it's the, Like even the smallest, the smallest tasks sometimes, even the best parents, I have great parents around me of like, holy moly, how do you do it? But even them, sometimes I can see all of us when, we, when we're talking, we get so stuck in how you call, like, like you said, the outcome parenting. Mm -hmm. We all get stuck like that, especially when you have, it's like, just please, child, just go to sleep. <laughs> please, how old are yeah. you now? You have everything, night lights on, doors open, cuddle time, prayer, book time. What else, child? <laughs> right. Right. Every time I had a goal in my mind of something we were going to learn in a certain period of time, I was super disappointed because we could not, I, I you know, I would say this month we're going to work on this, you know, wh whether it was like sleeping in your own bed. Oh my goodness. At our house, it was like a circus at nighttime. It was like musical bed. We would just do anything, anything for our kids to go to sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So, yes, I was not successful at until they finally grew out of it, which felt like it took a really long time, um, much longer than most parents. But 
but yeah, any of those things that I would determine, I have to do this and I'm going to give myself this much time and, oh my gosh, everybody else's kids are going to sleep in their own bed. Mm-hmm. You know, that comparison mm-hmm. that really steals your joy because every child is different. Yeah. And then, and it might take years and, and, and it will pass. <laughs> One day it will pass. Um, Dr. Awayo, um, and, and in those moments of when the child, the child can sense there's, there's something between the relationship. And after you, you have advice and, um, your families have practiced what you have advised them to do, there's reconnection in that again, correct? So sometimes, sometimes I, um, I would say probably half the kids half the families that come to me um, with just some behavioral modifications and changing the way the parents interact with the kids, changing some expectations and that sort of thing um, is enough to, to, to really to modify behaviors. So I would say that's about half, half of the cases. Um, And and I would say the other half, and I, and I usually get referred to, families that are in a hard spot just because um yeah because they know that that I'm not overwhelmed by that um but I would say the other half the the lesson is in finding balance and releasing even though their child is always going to struggle and so my job becomes more of how can I support you um, in helping you do this? How can I support you to be okay, even if your child isn't? And how can I support the rest of your family to find their footing again, even if your, you know, this one child struggles forever? Um, so I view my role as, as, you know, two different things. One, I, I, I either help a family kind of release things and reset their expectations and find balance again, or two, I offer suggestions and kind of equip a family to understand when, when their child has an impairment versus when their child has kind of a negative intent because you would deal with those things very differently. Obviously, we want to meet a child's need if they have a need that is unmet. But if the child needs you to take charge, then um, I help parents identify that piece too. It, I like how you well, summarizing it, finding hope in the truth of the, the present truth. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, hope is a beautiful thing, but also I I never thought about having hope even in the reality of things. That's, and that's a, that's a that's can be very. Um, the truth. It's no longer the parent being denial, but just having hope that. Like you said, my relationship with my child is more important than anything else. Yeah. And understanding that the story, that it's a very, very long story and that parenting doesn't end when your child is 18. I have so many panicked parents who say, you know, I'm, they're never going to learn this before they go to college, assuming that that, that particular child going to college or they're never going to, I don't know how they're ever going to, have an intimate relationship. I don't know how they're ever going to do this, but but parenting doesn't end at 18. I mean, 
you have to consider just the lifelong journey and and be okay with with your child hitting milestones or not hitting milestones at really different paces than other kids do. That comparing them because I, they, they see that, right, Dr. Wyo? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And they're already, they're already discouraged. Most of the kids that I work with that have acting out behaviors, the families of the kids that I work with, they're already super discouraged. And so sometimes they need to borrow your hope for them. Um, but they see, they see all this, you know, they see that they're not hitting the milestones. They see that they behave differently than other kids. They're often somewhat socially isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you want to have hope for your kids because sometimes they're going to have to borrow that. And sometimes you may need to borrow it from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because as parents, I think we can get really hopeless as well. Mm-hmm. I never thought about the child perspective. You know, the child that's throwing the tantrum and everything. Um, the thoughts that come through their mind saying, I'm not good. Or even yeah. very dark thoughts come after that. Um, the child is, I mean, is suffering. Likes probably the control at moments. But at the end of the moment, it is is a sad child. Yeah, it's it's very um, distressing for a child to have that level of control. I think it makes them feel very unsafe. It makes them feel very anxious, um, and and they do often say really, you know, self deprecating things at the end of those those fits, um, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. Every child, every child, I start with a foundational belief of every single child has equal worth and every single child was placed on this world on this world for an important reason and it doesn't matter um, how many disabilities they have or how many impairments they have or how many behavioral issues they have I truly believe in the preciousness of each child Uh, and I think that when children discover their own worth when they discover it, because they can't create it, right? Richard Rohr talks about that. You can't create self-worth. You just discover it. Um, I think when people in general discover their own self-worth, so many um, issues fall away just with that discovery. And that's something that your child has to do it on their own, Dr. Wyo. You can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. You can make it easier and harder. You definitely can make it easier or harder based on how you treat your child. Mm. Um, and, and neurotypical kids who are born to you, um, who don't have an interruption in their safe caretaker, develop that more easily. Mm. They just do. They discover it. I'm sorry. They discover it more easily because they feel that self-worth from the womb. Mm -hmm. And other children feel early, early rejection that they don't understand, that they can't articulate, but it's there. And then they're on this quest to discover their self-worth, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that is a sad quest. And we have to be we have to have compassion for children who who feel these ways and we have to know that they are worthy 
that they are important just because they're ours, just because they're human, not because they've done anything that have made them earn that worth. Nobody has to earn their worth. Mm. Yeah, it's true. As a, as a parent who uh, has adopted a child, I see all the little things. Um, and, and it's something as much, I, I've also have, um, heard other adopted parents saying as much as I love my as much as I give him all my love to my child I can't feel that spot yeah and that is um a very it's a truth in some aspects it's so true and then as a parent's like but I giving you everything <laughs> so but it's something that the child for themselves have to search or feel or um a quest, like you said, for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's very hard because you, you know, um, children are either born um, ready to learn and be loved or they're born ready to fight, mm -hmm. really. They have little battle brains or they, or they have brains that are ready to receive love. And children that are born ready to fight and protect themselves their first journey is just to open up that door and put down their weapons. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can take 30 years and sometimes that can take 40 years. And sometimes, and sometimes it, it takes five or six years. And I just, I never know how long it's going to take mm -hmm. a child to do that. Um, but that, that's the heartbreak in it, right? Because as parents, we want our children to see themselves the way we see them. Mm -hmm. But we can't, we can't make that happen. We can just love them well. We can love them kindly. We can be good leaders. Um, and that's, that's all we can do. Yeah. Love them well and love them kindly. Yeah. I, I think that's also for that, for replenishment in their lives, also for the parent individual, Dr. Wild, I think sometimes when you know that you messed up big time, it's really hard to love yourself as the parent or treat yourself kindly, knowing that you, you just messed up really bad. Because <laughs> then you think about the story and uh, about, you know, yeah. How, how, how can a parent replenish their hope um, Dr. Awayo? I think, I think that you need to stay connected to people who give you hope. And, and, and this is, there is a fine line between venting and criticizing and, mm -hmm. and people who will encourage and breathe life into your parenting situation. Um, I have, visited many adoption groups that I feel like are, are so critical, mm -hmm. um, just, uh, just venting really and, and dumping their feelings in a way that doesn't feel organized in a way that doesn't make anybody leave that room feeling better about their situation. Um, and, and, you know, I think most, I, I don't remember who, this is not my quote, but somebody said problems cannot be fixed. They can just be managed. Mm. You know, so 
I, I think understanding I can I can manage this better than what I'm managing it. That that feels hopeful. I can't fix it, but I can manage it. Um, connecting with the right people, connecting with people who see your child as somebody of value and worth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as somebody who who is important. Um, because it's amazing. I'm sure you know, as an adoptive parent, the kind of things that people will say, horrible things, mm-hmm. when they see you struggling with your child, mm-hmm. horrible things, things like, well, if you had given birth to a, a baby, you wouldn't be having these struggles. This is what happens when you adopt somebody else's kid. I mean, I, you know, I, I have heard and experienced, mm-hmm. you know, words like that, that are really not helpful. And, and those relationships really need, you need to distance from those relationships mm-hmm. and find people that, that will speak hope and life into your situation and your child's situation. Mm-hmm. I think also not getting scared when the child has a moment. I remember um, us having a moment um, and people just, their eyes just got so big and just said, whoa. I said, I said just give me some space. Just give my son space. And I don't think we were not invited back to that play, <laughs> that play date. But I would have been so nice if they would have just gave us a space and then said, hey, are you OK? Or, and yeah. invite us again. I mean, it was just a moment. Yeah. It's not a character thing. I think it's yeah. true. Like um, we have those thoughts already. We don't we don't need people to say it out loud. We have those thoughts. So, yeah. yeah, a little encouragement goes a long way. A big when, yes. When a mom is struggling with a child who, who they can't control. And really, let's face it, nobody can control their kids. Control is an illusion. You can control yourself and your energy would be better focused on controlling yourself. Yes. <laughs> when your energy is focused on controlling your child, you're, you're going to run out of energy and you're going to be unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Yes. How can we help our children, um, Dr. Wild, to replenish their, their, just to help them replenish themselves? Do we ask them or do we figure it out? So I think that, you know, kids, it, it's interesting. I, I read this, um, this book by Viktor Frankl about, um, I think that was his name. But anyways, it was, it was a book about, a psychologist wrote it about his time in a a concentration camp. And what he found is that there were a few things that, um, that created life within the camps. The people that survived and, and you could even say kind of thrived more than the other people in these concentration camps were people that had connection and people that had purpose. Okay, so they had connection. They had somebody that they felt like was waiting for them outside of the camp. So a wife, a daughter, somebody they knew was alive or they thought was alive. And they they found a job that made them feel like they had purpose in the camp, whatever that job was, something mm-hmm. separate than, you know, the factory work that they were made, made to do. Um, and, and, I, and I would say that those are the two basic human needs is, you know, am I connected to somebody? Does somebody care if I disappear off this earth? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Will they miss me? Um, And do I have a purpose? And and so I think the connection piece is just a given of, you know, 
daily, daily, daily connect with your child. Connect with your child, even if things are going badly. Look for those moments of joy um, because that's very important for their development, for their brain development, and, and it will help them discover their worth. It will help them discover that. And the second is I do think that everybody was put here for a purpose, and I think you need to pay careful attention to your child's giftings and help them encourage those giftings, even if they feel totally off the wall to you, even if they're nothing that you would pick for your child. So maybe, you know, your idea is that I really want my child to have a college education, but your child loves something that feels like a, a service industry type of thing. They just love to... Um, cook or they love to clean or they love to tinker with, you know, the lawnmower, um, whatever it is that you feel like they love, invest in it, invest in it because they need a purpose just like you need a purpose. Mm. And, um, so if they love to tinker with, with machines, then go to Goodwill on the half off day and buy five or six things and let them take it apart, put it together, take it apart, put it together. Um, you know, invest in what they love. If they want to, if they, you know, want to say they want to work at a circus when they grow up and they have a knack for juggling, then, you know, buy them juggling videos and lots of things to juggle. And I know it seems silly, but it's not because children need a purpose too. Mm -hmm. And their purpose can look really different than what you had in mind, but it's important. Yeah. It's very important. I'm going to do a little sidetrack here. I see in our conversation, um, you you talk about faith. And and that's something else that the child itself have to learn, discover or go for a for them like um, quest for themselves. Correct, Dr. Weil? Yes. Yes. I mean, nobody can choose. Nobody can choose faith. For a child you just have to present it and then and then you have to live it you have to live the grace and mercy that you're talking about mm-hmm. um, in order for a child to understand what that looks like and as imperfectly as we do it as parents I think it's important that we try to do it well and then to talk about you know to, to just be honest and say I don't do this as well as God does I don't like like God does this perfectly and and he has you know I think that when when people who are religious focus too much on um, on their children's sins you know and they'll they'll say things like that you know they, they just you know they're so rebellious and they use words like rebellious and sinful and all these things well we're all sinful and rebellious so so let's mm. get off that <laughs> high horse of yeah, you know, true. all of, all of us are simple and rebellious. So, so there's no there's no one that's better. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not better than my child, even though, you know, I wasn't a better child than my child was, even though I didn't get in trouble when I was little. There's not there's there's not a rank in that in in God's eyes. There's no rank. Mm-hmm. Um, we we all do the same bad things, um, or think about the same bad things. Um, so really, it's you know, are we teaching our children about grace and mercy and that God always pursues us, always, um, and that 
nothing can separate us from his love? Are we teaching them those things? And that we've been forgiven for everything we did yesterday, everything we did today, and everything we're ever going to do. That's what I used to pray over my son every night. I used to say, um, I just want you to know that God has forgiven you for everything you did yesterday, everything you did today, and everything you're ever going to do. So sleep in peace. Because I wanted him to experience God's mercy. They experience enough judgment. Mm -hmm. They experience enough judgment. I want my children to look at God as a God who wants them anyway, who chooses them anyway. And and I think you can make that easier or harder based on how you talk about God. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, if you're not a, if you don't believe it, just having everybody know what, what's grace and gentleness and forgiveness is. And that's so true. Our kiddos, our kiddos are, I mean, when you, when you step back and think, it's like, my goodness, it's, they're not victims. They're just really, really, I don't like, it just amazed me the, 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 the inner strength that the, these kiddos, our kiddos have. It's really mm-hmm. when they when one day they they will be able to speak for themselves and share their stories, and um, my hope is that our kiddos can can come out 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 of this with a lot of hope and, and a lot of replenishment for many 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 more. Doctor Wild, how do you replenish your yourself? So, um, hope is how I worship. You know, I, I just believe in, um, in hope and believing that there is, that there is something better, that the story's not over and that, and again, that my pain has had a purpose, that it has a purpose that's greater than even just what has happened within my family. Um, that it's not for nothing, that there's reasons for what we've been through. And then connecting with the right people and disconnecting with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. I decided years ago that if I felt worse about myself or my situation after spending time with somebody, that I didn't need to be spending time with that person or group. Mm-hmm. I had enough, I had enough things that I was dealing with that I did need to be replenished. I did need somebody to just see me and they didn't have to understand. It's, it's interesting to me which friends, stick around and with friends don't sometimes we have very little in common but they see me and love me and love my kids and that's enough that's a that's a lot now that I'm a mom if you love my kid and we can have a good time that means everything to me it's so special it's so I I'm just thinking about people right now that love my little girl so much and it means everything. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. It truly is. I'm sorry, Doctor Wild. I think I think it's because you have the 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 touch. <laughs> yeah, it means so much. Oh. It's okay. I always make parents cry. <laughs> she has a touch, people. She's good what she does. So please, please, please reach her out if you need some direction and coaching and, and realchild.net. I would totally, I think I might be of a, a future family of yours. Dr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my god, so much fun. And you know, it's I you have shared how you have found replenishment in your in your own life, how we how we can help our fa- our our families or our children find replenishment. I mean, you have shared so much gold. Is there any final thoughts, Dr. Awile, that you would like to share? Um, I just want to tell moms and dads to hang in there and to be brave enough to keep laughing and keep reaching for each other. Mm-hmm. To be brave enough for the little things when the big things are so hard. Mm. Beautiful. Well, guys, I thank you so much, Dr. Aguayo. Please. Thanks for inviting me. It's it's so good. I mean, families, moms, dads, single parents, even if you have not joined our world of adoption, if you just are having um, the same struggles or different struggles, I would totally recommend Dr. Aguayo. Um, you can um, find more information on her um, website, re- realchild.net and also on her Instagram um, Real Child Consulting and Dr. Melody Aguayo thank you so much for your wisdom and thank you for you know for serving as a missionary kid when, with your parents and I honor your parents and your family I mean it's not easy uh, I was a missionary child for a little bit so I get a little bit of it I couldn't yeah, that's a different story. But uh, <laughs> and I, I honor your parents and the legacy that you're carrying on on your own journey with your husband and your two children and helping so many other families. And it's so refreshing because um, to hear somebody who is an, an expert, but also has walked by it. And um, it's not also also not telling us the parents, you know, oh, it's okay. You're telling it us how it is with love and care and with a lot of hope. So thank you, Dr. Awayo, for sharing this moment with, with us. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm so honored. So thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, please find replenishment in your home. Please connect, like Dr. Awayo says, please connect with your children with your spouse or the people around you and find replenishment and remember that hope is for everyone thank you for listening to replenish hope if you want to get daily doses of hope please subscribe and share the hope with others and remember hope is for everyone